Before we open God's word, let's pray. Lord, all this week, we're going to learn about the goodness of your grace. We're going to learn that you're a good God. Lord, we're going to learn that your grace is so powerful it can save any sinner from ever, any sin. And Lord, we want to thank you for that. We want to thank you, Lord, even for the small sins that we commit, for the, even for those in here that perceive themselves to be good, those that even as Christians perceive themselves to be perfect. But Lord, we know that your, your love and your grace covers even those sins. We pray that the energy of this group and the energy that youth embodies, Lord, that we would leave this meeting and leave this camp energetic for your calling and for what, Lord, what you want us to do as your children and as young people in the Lord. We pray this all in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. For our text, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21. Second Corinthians chapter five, seventeen through twenty one. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that is to say, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you, in Christ said, Be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There are a few things in this scripture that really stand out to me. I can think of all of us here, before we came to Eastern Camp, we probably went shopping. And we asked maybe our parents, those of us who are younger, who don't have uh, our own money, asked our parents for some money to get something new. To buy a new pair of shoes or to uh, buy some new clothes. We all enjoy buying something new. I, in particular, I have actually a, a brand new Bible. Mine was 11 years old, and I thank God that it actually wore out. Maybe it should have worn out five years ago. But I got a brand new Bible, and I love smelling it. At my work, there's, there's a ton of catalogs, bearings, um, uh, cylinders, all kinds of cal- uh, catalogs. I'm an engineer, and when a salesman gives me a new catalog, the first thing I do, maybe when he leaves so he doesn't think I'm a complete weirdo, is I'll smell it. The new yearbook smell. Or uh, the new, a new catalog or a new uh, book. There's a, there's a neat smell to something new. And you can tell something old. Uh, those of you who were at Massanetta Springs, you had to have been really, uh, you probably were really young. You remember there were certain smells. And you could tell the wood was old or something like that. A new car smell. That is when I, I work at General Motors and I drive a foreign car now. And that's really frowned upon. And so I'm looking at new cars. But the neat thing about new cars is their smell. Who cares what they look like? You're driving in there, and they smell really good. What's all this have to do with grace? Well, what happens when grace appears? The theme that would be behind me if we were in Layman Hall is grace has appeared. So what on earth is the big deal about grace? What on earth makes grace so profound 
when it appears. So what? Grace has appeared. Well, what we read in today's in our scripture was when grace appears, when grace appears in the person's life, and he takes that grace, things change. Therefore, if any man or any woman be in Christ, he is a brand new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What are these things? What are these things as Christians? Those of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, who said, I want Jesus Christ for my God, for my Savior. Those of you last night who have, who have realized for the first time that you are sinners, what is it that has to become new? Well, we first got to understand, what's the problem? We, we learned a little bit about that last night, about sin and the grossness of sin. But something just a, a little bit more relevant to us is, and we read it in Romans 5, that everyone in this room, feel your skin, feel the blood or the, the, the blood pumping when your heart pumps. There is sin running through your veins. Before you even committed your first sin, let's say the first time that you lied or the first time you were aware and your parents asked you, well, where were you last night? And meanwhile, you were doing something that you knew you shouldn't have been doing. But before that, you stopped off at church. I was actually king of this. If, if uh, somebody would call us at our home in uh, Columbus and I didn't want to talk to him, what I would do is I would draw a little circle. If my brother said, hey, uh, Jim is on the phone, I would draw a little circle and say, uh, no, Randy, I'm not here. And I'd be pointing to this circle. Meanwhile, they have no clue that I'm actually in the presence, but I did a little lie there. But even before I did that, before I was even born, I was a sinner. And this is one of the hardest things to understand is that as a, as a person, there is sin running through my veins, that there is some sort of disease running through my veins. It's hard to understand. The best way to understand is about 20 years ago, before most of you in this room were born, 20 years ago, there was a disease that was found out. It was about actually 1984. People were dying of some sort of disease. They didn't know what it was. And eventually, they named it AIDS. Now, if, if, a, if a, let's say a husband and wife have AIDS, they conceive a child. A child is born. More than likely, that child will have AIDS. That child did absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing to deserve that disease. Not one thing. But the fact of the matter is, that baby has AIDS. You and me, everyone in this room, even if you are the most perfect person in this world, will go to hell, will not be reconciled to God, will not have that fellowship with Christ if you do not come to Him. So no matter if you from this day forward sin not one sin, besides the sin of rejection of God, which is the, the sin that will keep you out of heaven, you have that, I, you and I have that disease running through us. And what that does is separate us from God. So what are these new things? Knowing now that we're, we're in this state, and you can think you're not in that state, you can think you can earn it, that's fine, but the fact of the matter is you can't earn it, you're never going to work for it hard enough, you're never going to be able to jump high enough for God. So the fact of the matter is, these are the facts. New things have to happen to us. The first thing that has to happen is a new relationship with God. We're at the age of where we have a lot of relationships as young people. We have a lot of friends, and we have a lot, especially with our parents. There are times that when we argue with our parents or we have a disagreement with our parents, you lose that fellowship. Maybe you did something, you stole something, you broke something, 
or you lie to them and you really can't look mom and dad in the face or, or something with your friend. You just gossiped about your friend, your close friend. And I know those types of things ha happen occasionally, especially when a bunch of young people are together. Miscommunication happens or intentional miscommunication. And you look at your friend and you know that he knows that you said something and there's that lack of fellowship. You know you can't look him straight in the eye. You know it's a little awkward. You know, I just you know, said this about him. And so you really can't, you can't bond with that person. Until you lay everything out, there's going to be that distance. And with God, with a believer, with the unbeliever and God, there is this separation. There is a gigantic separation. And all of us want that fellowship with God. All of us desire that. But there, there can't be that fellowship. But when Christ comes, when grace appears... Suddenly, that relationship becomes new. Suddenly, suddenly, you have a relationship with God when you never had one before. Out here, um, we, we practiced in here for a adult choir. I went to get a drink. I looked on the plaque out there, and when you leave this place, and it, hopefully if we're here for the next 10 years, every time you see the plaque out there, I want you to think of what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes. The plaque says, Koinonia Commons. Koinonia Commons. 1 John. You can, 1 John 1, 6 and 7. For if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not have the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and with the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. This word koinonia, the person who put that plaque up there, whatever, three, four years ago, never knew that I was really interested in this word fellowship. See, koinonia means fellowship or partaker. And whenever you read the word partaker or koinonia, or you won't read koinonia, whenever you read the word partaker or fellowship, you might be, re you might be reading the word koinonia, and what that means is, the idea is that there's this big pot and God is putting all that he has in this pot. His grace, his forgiveness. You know, to get this relationship, God's putting in this big old vat. He's putting Jesus Christ, his son, dying on the cross. He's putting forgiveness of sins. He's putting mercy in there. He's putting love in there. And it's being put in this big pot for all of us to partake of. And then now we have to think of what on earth are we putting in there? God sacrificed himself. God, in this koinonia, put all these things in this vat for us to partake of. And what on earth are we putting in there? Well, the one thing, the first thing that we put in there is our will. And you think, wow, that's not a really a fair exchange. Absolutely not. Grace is not a fair, fair exchange. If God could have done it any other way, he would have. Those of us who ever become self-righteous as Christians, or those of us who believe that we're just fine the way we are or, or we're heading down that, right, that path and we're going to do what we want and, and work hard and try to be good and you know, try not to murder anybody or anything like that and then we're going to get there. A lot of people really believe that as long as they're good people, honest people, they're going to get to heaven. But what we need to put in there and realize that if Christ hadn't died, we never would have been saved. If, Christ, if we could have been by ourselves, worked our way to heaven, stacked rocks upon each other, or, or uh, tried to reach God through whatever means, 
God would not have sent his son. He wouldn't have wasted his time. He would not have sacrificed what, what he loved so much. So in this vat, when you think about it, we're not putting too much in there. And that's why grace is so powerful, because you start to see that it's God. It's what God's doing. And we're going to talk a little bit about that small part that we put in, which is our will and our desire. And in one way, we can maybe just capitalize on this. All of us in this room, most of us, have parents that we know, and, and we know that they're probably more well-off than, than we are. Most of you maybe haven't gone to college yet. I just graduated from college about three years ago, so I started actually making a decent income about three years ago. Before that, I was piddling around with jobs and having some internships here and there and, you know, making three, four, five thousand dollars while I was in school or, or around that amount. If we put in all our money, everybody in this room, excluding some people who may have a little bit more, but if we put it all in there, everybody who put, put their money in this one pot, and then your parents put all the money that they had in that pot, what you put in there would be almost worthless. Virtually nothing. Because your parents have worked a lifetime, or they've saved, or they have stocks, they have 401ks, and you put it in that pot, and suddenly you start to see it's what your parents have put in. And that's what this koinonia and this fellowship, fellowship that we have with God, that's what's new. That becomes new with God. We never had that before. The second thing that becomes new is our relationship with ourselves. The relationship that we have with ourselves becomes new. And what do I mean with, by that? Well, as unconverted, we, we have a lot of insecurities. We, even as Christians, we have uh, insecurities. But we have a lot of insecurities. We, we really doubt ourselves because we're doing it on ourselves. We're, we're, we don't have, we don't have, since we don't have that fellowship with God, we're working at it ourselves. It, it's, it's imagine if you come to Eastern Camp and you didn't have one friend here. All alone. You didn't know anybody here and you had no desire to know anybody. And at times, I don't care how tough you are, I don't think how, you know, how cool you are or whatever and how independent you are, there are times that you feel alone and insecure. That's what becomes new. Those things become new. Our motives become new. Not only, not only do we have that fellowship with God, but we have that new motive. You know, we have a new motive to even serve God, to actually be, to be close to Him. Things become new. Desires become new. It's like, that, it's like those new shoes that you smell or those, the, the new shoes that look nice and, the, and pants and shirt. It all looks so new and so nice. This is the first time I ever wore this shirt. It's brand new. It, 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 it feels nice to wear something new. It's not like I don't wear things new that often, but it's nice every now and then to get something new. It's a clean start. There are other things that, that start affecting us in our lives. The way, that we, the way that we act suddenly becomes new. Suddenly, we're not as, we shouldn't be as Christians when things become new as proud of, uh, of what we can do. And this, 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 I look at right in my face. I can have a mirror right here. You know, I haven't always been the most humble person. Those of you who know me, and especially the ones from Mansfield, know that, you know, you know, Erwin, you wouldn't think of to be the most humble person in the world. 
But see, when we become Christians, when we, when we acknowledge God, when we look at that vat that's sitting before us and we see grace and love and God's forgiveness and we see His mercy, His, His kindness, we start, and we see our will there, we start to see, wow, I'm not such an awesome person at, after all. Even though I'm, I'm, I'm good-looking, and I'm not speaking this for myself, but even though I'm good-looking and I'm athletic and, and people find me funny and I, I'm, I'm pretty sarcastic... This is not anything towards you, Tom. But, you know, all of us, even though I'm all those things, suddenly, when you look at that big old pot sitting in front of you, it doesn't seem to matter as much. Suddenly, that you look a little odd or you act a little different is not important because of grace. The pride starts washing away when we start to see, when grace appears, the pride falls away. The way we act, the way we act with each other, the way we, the way we look, the way we interact with each other, the, the, there is a marked difference. There is a marked difference in the lives of believers than in the lives of unbelievers. The way we even interact with each other. The third thing is how we interact with each other. Those, our relationships with other people will change. The Bible says, live peaceably with all men as much as lieth within you. You're going to have new relationships. We as Christians will have new relationships with each other. Because we're not going to be competitive with each other. Because we're going to start to see that in comparison to God, God made everything. We read that in Scripture. God made everything about me. So why on earth would I boast about it? If you gave me a gift of $1,000, the stupidest thing that I could do is run out of here and say, look at this, I'm rich, I have $1,000, I'm better than you. That would be completely absurd because all they would say is, well, where did you get that $1,000? Well, Tom gave it to me. Oh, yeah, you're pretty cool. Well, maybe it's Tom the one that's cool. See, the, the, the fact of the matter is, we start, we start, when we start comparing ourselves with each other, the Bible says it's not wise. We're not going to compare each other with each other. When, when I look at my spiritual life, I'm not going to look at uh, Sister Cindy or brother Jim and say, I'm doing better than him. I'm doing a little worse than sister Cindy, so I'm going to try to do a little bit better so I can beat her. You know, that happens a lot in our lives. Is we compare with each other and we say, well, I saw what he did that one time. I haven't done that in about two years, so I'm doing okay. No, our, new, our relationship with other people changes. We become new creatures, brand new creatures. The person that I can think about is the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was going around killing Christians, throwing them in prison, doing all kinds of things. And then at one trip, one trip, one journey on a, on a desert road, this light shined and said, Paul, what are you doing? You're kicking against the thorns. You're kicking against the pricks. Why are you persecuting me? Paul looked, oh, I've been doing that this whole time. In an instant, the Apostle Paul changed. His life was changed. He had, grace appeared to him. Grace appeared and he had to make a change. When people look at my life and when people look at your life, do they see this change? Do they see this change? I think of three young people, three or four young people, if you count Daniel in there. Daniel, when they were taken into captivity, three, Daniel, uh, Daniel Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even though we should probably tell them by their uh, Hebrew names 
because, I mean, they're Hebrews, but those names are actually a bunch of uh, devotions to the, the gods of, of their day, of the Syrian or Babylonian gods. But we all know them as the stories that we Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the firing furnace. That's how we all know them as. What happened in their lives? What happened in the lives of these, of these people? So, you know, we know, when we're going to look at these people's lives, we're going to look at these four people. How did they make a difference? How did, they, how did new things happen in their lives? When grace appeared to them, and I use grace in a uh, sense that grace appeared 2,000 years ago, not really at this point, but they all looked forward toward Jesus Christ. We know that everything in the Old Testament was pointing toward grace. But what, how can you and I as young people, how can we know and, and try to make things new? Well, the first thing was, is they purposed in their hearts. Before something happens that you know you're going to be confronted with purpose in your heart. I can think my senior year was a, was a, a difficult time for me in some sense where I was enjoying the, the company of a, of a lot of girls. Not a lot of girls, but, you know, I, I liked girls and some of them liked me back. And one girl gave me an ultimatum. She said, Erwin, in two weeks you need to let me know whether you're going to go to the prom with me. And then I said, okay, I'll let you, I'll let you know. And um, literally, in my mind, I thought of ways that I could get away with it. Now, what purpose would it be? It would totally serve the, the sensual part of my life. It would totally serve the, uh, the, the sexual drive in my life. Yeah, that, that would have served that. Oh, I was a Christian. And uh, I thought, well, I could, you know, I could tell my parents I'm, I'm going to Dairy Queen and I'd just be there for three, four hours. But I was at Dairy Queen. And I went through, oh, I can sleep at my uh, brother-in-law's house. You know, he's, and I just wouldn't let him know where I came from. So in my mind, I had laid this all out. But I knew, I purposed in my heart years ago, a, year, a couple years ago, that I would serve my God. That I would serve Him wholeheartedly. And I knew that that activity had absolutely no basis in Scripture. And I knew that it wouldn't be beneficial for me as a Christian. Especially for me as a Christian. And you know, she was very disappointed. No. You know, you know I, I let her know. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go. And we talked about it. And eventually, actually, a couple of years ago, I just found out, I uh, emailed her, that she actually became a Christian. And uh, her life has changed. It's not because I didn't go, but we're going to be confronted, especially this age group. About 10 years ago, things started to change where you start going off to college in other cities. People don't see you as much. People, you're, you're kind of alone. I knew I went to Columbus, and, and I could do a lot of things down there that wouldn't be expected of a Christian. That, that if God were to come, he'd be, he, I would be ashamed at his coming. The Bible says that we can be actually ashamed at God's coming. And then uh, if you come to, you won't be there if you have a teen forum, but we're, we're going to have a forum on the judgment seat of Christ where everything that we do as Christians is evaluated. It's, it's put into this kettle, burned, and everything that's junk is thrown out. And there's going to be some embarrassment for us Christians. But if we purpose in our hearts like if we purpose in our hearts like Daniel did, I'm not going to eat the king's meat. I'm not going to violate my body. A few, a few chapters later, we find out that there was this decree that everybody had to bow down. Everybody had to bow down to this idol. That's, that, there's a lot of peer pressure. And, and, you know, brothers and sisters, friends, guys, there's going to be a lot of peer pressure here. 
The peer pressure comes from even from Christians. The peer pressures of, of, of socializing. You know, I think as, as Christians, there's a lot of things that we restrict from ourselves. And then, you know, we know that we would never, we, we would never go out and uh, smoke a joint or we would never, never you know, do any of these uh, drugs like ecstasy or something like that. But we, we, we can start delving into those things like alcohol where it becomes an excess. If you're under the age of uh, 21 in the United States of America, or if you're under the age of 19 in Canada, the law says that you can't drink, unless you're with your parents. You know, these are things that, as Christians, we purpose in our hearts to live godly lives, that no matter what, you're going to stand for Christ. That no matter what, what somebody, what new religion somebody comes up with, or some new idea we're going to go back to the Bible. We're going to come back to His Word, no matter what it is. See, Daniel purposed in his heart. If we want those things to be new, if we want our relationship with God to be new, if we want our relationship with ourselves to be new, if we want our relationships with everybody else to be new, we got a purpose in our hearts that we're going to stick to it, no matter what the peer pressure is. And believe me, I've been there. There's a ton of peer pressure. When nobody's looking, at, there's a plaque that I left at my work, my previous job, that said, character is what you are and what you do when nobody's looking. When nobody's looking is when you and I can get away with the most. When we're in the privacy of our own homes or when we're out somewhere and nobody on earth is going to see us that we care. That's when character matters. But we've got a purpose in our hearts. We've also got to focus everything, every, every decision that we make. Is God honored in this? Is this showing a new creature? Is somebody looking at me, are they going to see brand new tennis shoes? Or are they going to see old rugged tennis shoes that are comfortable, but they're not new? What are they going to see when they see me? And the third thing is, a lot of times we like to get opinions from our friends. But I challenge each of you. The Bible says in the multitude of counselors there is safety. And the Bible also says in, in Proverbs, iron sharpeneth iron. Talk to somebody if you have an idea about something or if you're contemplating doing something or if you're having a struggle with something. Talk to somebody who may not agree with you. Now, there's a shocker. This uh, Presidential Commission on Social Security, I'm really big into politics. This Presidential uh, Commission on Social Security is going to recommend that they privatize Social Security. I say yay to that. I say yay, we, let's all 12% go to privatization. But they, have, they went into that meeting already knowing that they were going to privatize Social Security, a part of it. For all you Democrats in here, don't worry. We're not going to do everything, okay? But part of it's going to be privatized. But the problem with this commission is there wasn't any opposing view. And there's, it's almost deal, it's almost, there's not a legitimate commission here because nobody told them, hey, why are we going to do this? So when you have an idea or you have a problem or a question, don't just necessarily go to somebody that you agree with. Test out somebody, a friend, that may not agree with you. Purpose in your heart. Base everything on God's word. Test it. And talk to some other brothers and sisters who may not necessarily agree with you. It will do us... The energy that's in this group will be channeled towards such a good purpose. When grace appears, a new relationship with God, a new relationship with ourselves, and a new relationship with each other. The song we're going to sing ends with the chorus. There's a passion deep inside for my life to testify... What love can be used as a witness for you? 
with faith and with faith and conviction you've called me by your name and i will not be the same